Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Uh, let me just get right into the text. Because I know y'all, y'all, y'all got y'all to gotta go somewhere, right? You got to start ripping stuff over. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right. No, no I'm not. Uh, all right. Isaiah 9, 6. We're just doing two verses. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And it is a zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish this. So last, last uh, week we talked about the promise like no other. Now we're talking about a kingdom like no other. And to help you understand what a kingdom is, a kingdom is basically this system that you live in that has principles, ideas, goals, and values with a central point. It is, you know, and so if I could say some of the kingdoms that, that we would be a part of, uh, you know, that we have a lot of kinds of kingdoms. We have the kingdom of freedom and autonomy, you know, the, the kingdom of pleasure. You know, life revolves around pleasure and all the principles that are associated with pleasure. Or, or the kingdom of law, you know, the, you know what the world runs by? Just what you're supposed to do and not do. Or, or the kingdom of self. Or in Miami, the kingdom of family, right? We know that. Family runs the world in Miami. Um, or you have the kingdom of work. Everything revolves around what produces. Or the kingdom of leisure and play. Basically, my principles and values that, that revolve around everything is just relaxing. Or, 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 or maybe for some of you, it's the kingdom of organization and structure. Or the kingdom of performance, which basically means it's all about school and athletics and anything that has to do with me achieving something. Or the kingdom of power or the kingdom of success, whatever. So, so basically all these kingdoms that we try to live in are basically, they have the same common theme. And that is that they're just all about us in some different way. But what Isaiah is bringing us into is that this kingdom is different in that it is primarily about a king and how reality revolves around this king in himself. And so this is why we have a kingdom like no other because it has a king at the center of it like no other who basically the kingdom is all about. So I'm going to unpack for you why this kingdom is like no other by saying it has a foundation that's different it has distinctives that are different. It has, uh, it has also a, a way of preserving that is different. You can say how it's preserved is really different than everything else. And lastly, it has qualities that are like no other. A kingdom like no other through these lenses. So, so the first thing I want to unpack is, is how is this kingdom different? First, it has a different kind of foundation. And I get that from verse 6. Where Isaiah says, a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. And so the first way I unpack this main idea of how the kingdom is founded, is this kingdom is founded on a person, not philosophy. On a person, not philosophy. 
Isaiah doesn't say, you know, basically a new kingdom will come which will have new values and new principles and new paradigms, but someone will be born. And I give you an example that really plays this. One time I was having a conversation with Rebecca, and uh, we were talking about smoking, the idea of smoking. And she's like, I would never smoke because if I smoked, it would offend my mother. Now, check it out. What she was saying is that smoking and not smoking had nothing to do with smoking being good or bad. It had something to do with a person. So her worldview was defined by a someone, not a certain set of values that were good and bad. It was, it was found in a someone, and that's where she derived her understanding of things. And so, so what Isaiah is saying is, beloved, the kingdom of God is not built on virtues. It's not built on love. Love God and love neighbor. Be generous. Be kind. Do justice. What goes around comes around. Human will, commitment, submission, or sacrifice. But the kingdom of God is built on Jesus Christ himself. It is built on a someone, you know. If I could give you a picture of what a kingdom of things and not Christ, it's almost like a house. A house that is full of, you know, all these things that should be done and all these principles. And there's just all these great principles everywhere, but there's no one that lives in the house. That's what it's like. You know, but, but what's most necessary in a house is not really good stuff and values, you know, kind of stapled on the wall. But what's most essential is someone living in that house. And so what, what Isaiah is saying is that, beloved... Christ is our code. Christ is our principles. Christ is our reality. This kingdom is founded on a someone. Not on good ideas and values and philosophies. It's it's found on a someone. But there's something else that that I think brings upon, adds to this idea of the kingdom's foundation. And that is, that it is, hold on. My timer is, uh, my new timer is tripping on me, so I might not be able to maintain it. Um, it's, it's, it's founded on a lifespan lived, not lifestyle lived by us. You say, why do you say that? Well, Isaiah says that the answer to your problem is that a child will be born. Why? Why send a savior that is born as a child? Why not send them like an maturity to just come and then tell us things or show us things. Well, let me just say very simply, is the reason that Jesus had to be born was because we needed somebody to replace us and live for us, not someone who come and give us lifestyle advice. Christ had to basically come from beginning and live an entire human lifespan to replace our jacked up lifespan. That's why he had to come. You know, like, we are not, look, we are not the vehicle that, that just needs new parts to be replaced. We are the jalopy that we're just like, I can't drive it no more. It has to be entirely replaced. That's us. We need entire replacement. And Jesus Christ enters into history not to give us a better story, but he becomes our story and replaces our story by being the one who was born and lived for us. 
We don't need better laws, better examples. You know, what would Jesus do? What we need mostly fundamentally to be a part of this kingdom, it's for somebody to live a life that replaces ours entirely. That's what founds this kingdom. It doesn't mean that we don't imitate Christ and, and listen to his commands, but what is most essential is that this person would live and replace us. And beloved, we, we spend so much time trying to recruit Jesus to fix our stories. We think that Christianity is about bringing Jesus into our story, into our marriages, and God would you just make it better. And Isaiah says, beloved, I don't come to fix your story primarily. I come to give you Jesus' perfect story as your own. <laughs> We don't need Jesus to make our stories better. We need Jesus to give us his story. That's what founds the kingdom of God. And that actually makes our stories better, you know. But, but there's a few more things I want to say about this kingdom foundation is that it's, it's built on a family member, not family values. A family member, not family values. It says a son will be given to us. So this person who was a son... A son, the son of heaven is given to us. And so us having a family member is what grounds and founds this kingdom. So let me, let me, let me put you on to something. Y'all know in Caribbean families, and maybe it's like this in other cultures as well. The way you get in is how? The only way you get into the Caribbean family is if you marry one of them. You can try to act like them, and you can try to like, you know, all right, like this is what y'all about, this is how y'all live, but look, you outside unless you get married, right? You need to get attached to someone who's there already if you want to be in there already. And so this is what Isaiah is showing us, you know, because we think, this is, this is how we think, this is how the church a lot of times thinks now, that the way we get in this kingdom is by Jesus giving us family values, He creates family values in us, and because now we have family values, we have family DNA, now we can be in this kingdom. But Isaiah says, you know how you get in this? It's not by getting family values, it's by being given a family member who's already in. He gives you a son and says, you know what? He is, you know, the guy. He is perfect. He has the DNA of family. And now I give you Christ, not family values in your heart that then gets you in here. I give you someone who's already a family member. Family values come later, right? But, but, but Isaiah says this kingdom is founded on God giving you a son, not on giving you family values. Given a son, not on giving you family values. So there's one last thing I want to say about what founds this kingdom. And that it's in receiving, not giving. In receiving, not giving. You know, like, what do we say now? And, and, well, hold on. Let me go back. Receiving, not giving. I get that from he will be given to us. Very simple. Isaiah says he will be given to us. Uh, but we, you know how we say, what do we, what do we say the season of the spirit is, right? What do we say the season of this, the, 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 the Christmas spirit is? It's, it's what? What do people say? Giving. Wrong! <laughs> it's receiving according to Isaiah. 
The spirit of Christmas is receiving something by grace alone, not you giving people stuff. A child will be given to us, not earned by us, not unlocked by us, not unleashed by us, not lived by us, but given to us, and we simply receive it. Not merited by us, not provoked by us, not planned by us, but simply received by us. Beloved, the kingdom of heaven can only be given to you on the foundation that you receive it, period, point blank. You receive it, period, point blank. But, all right, so this is what founds this kingdom. Tell me something about how this kingdom is different. Tell me some distinctives of this kingdom. And that's where I move to the next part of the verse where it says, and the governments will be on his shoulders. So we see kingdom distinguished by this sentence saying, and the governments will be on his shoulders. The first way I unpack that concept is by saying that his kingdom is supreme and not parallel. It's supreme and not parallel. Let me give an illustration that may help you see what Christ is telling us about his kingdom distinctives. Uh, You know like when your kids are fighting and they recruit you there for, for help, what do they do? He's not doing everything I want. Come and make it happen, Papa. You know what I do? I squash that agenda and say, that is not the agenda I'm going. I have my entirely different agenda, not your agenda. Now, y'all laughing, but I'm going to slam y'all now. <laughs> we act like Jesus comes in here to set up shop next to us with our little kingdoms. Rather than say, like, look, look, you come in here, you're asking me the wrong kind of questions. So, so, you know, Jesus, come here and make my kids how I want, make my spouse my I want, make me how I want, and why don't you set up shop next to my me kingdom? But he says, look, I don't come here to set up shop next to your kingdom of comfort, kingdom of success, kingdom of money, kingdom of pleasure, kingdom of pleasing everybody, Kingdom of getting everyone's attention and making everyone happy and kingdom of appearance and kingdom of stuff and kingdom of money and kingdom. But I come here to basically say shop is closed. Now the property of your life is mine. You got your little shop there of kingdom you. And Christ comes and says, I bought this entire block. And now your shop is a part of my block. I love you too much to let you recruit me to come next to you with your little you shop. He says the government will be on his shoulders. And God is loving us. He's loving us so much. By saying, you know why you're struggling so much? Because you are trying so hard to keep your shop open and recruit me to, to, recruit me to like have my little you know, kingdom shop next to you. I just want to shut it down. Not, maybe not even shut it down. Just, just say it needs to be absorbed into the property of King Jesus, the authority of his kingdom. So it is supreme, not parallel, but there's something else that is a little bit different that I want to unpack about it. It's a replacement kingdom, not a cooperating kingdom. You go further in this verse, it says he will rule over the throne of David. Notice what the throne of David is? It's nothing that has to do with anything you would think is most significant. And all of our little smaller views. He says he will rule over his throne. It's an entirely different throne. It's an entirely different system. 
Hey, I'm going to give you a picture that, that I know is going to make John mad. I used to like always, and, and, if, and if my father-in-law, Jim, is watching this on Facebook, it's going to make him mad too. But I used to like always go from different PCs, you know, personal computers, IBM, Toshiba, whatever, whatever. And you know what? My problem was not solved until I went to something entirely different. It's called the Mac. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying. Look, and I, look, I, I understand, like, you can make art, but you get my points, okay? The point is me trying to, like, have better operating systems under the same operating. I needed something entirely different in order to function. And so Isaiah's saying is, beloved, <laughs> Christ is not entering into your little worlds to cooperate with making it really good. He's not going into your smaller kingdoms and he's saying, all right, I'm going to plug in, okay? I'm going to plug in to your operating system and now we're going to make it really good. He's saying is that we need something entirely different. We need it to be, because everything about our kingdom is wrong, beloved. Everything is wrong, so Jesus can't come in and, like, work with us. He's like, look, I have something entirely different for you to now exist in. So if I could give you um, some examples, you may say, Jesus, why don't you come and fix the kingdom of husband and make husband such and such? And Christ says, I'm your husband. You need to exist in the kingdom of your perfect husband and stop thinking that Jesus making your husband better is a solution. It's quiet in here. But y'all know what I'm talking about. He says, look, an alternative reality in somebody perfect, this kingdom where we exist somewhere else, it's all about Christ and him crucified, is how this kingdom distinctive works. You may say, God, make my kids, make the kingdom of kids to be as fruitful and wonderful and stabilizing, please. And God says, I have given you my son. Better than trying to make broken things function a little bit more that are still broken, I have given you the kingdom of son to exist in, not this cooperating thing, you know. Or I give one more example. We say, Jesus, come in here and into the kingdom of better me, more me, more improve me. And he says, beloved, I have given you a righteous Christ, which is better than a better you. So he doesn't come to cooperate, change the situation. He says, you know, I, I, you don't need me to change the situation. You need me to root you in the anchor that is sitting in heaven, which is Christ himself. So he doesn't come, beloved, to cooperate with our little kingdoms, he comes to replace them entirely. But there's something else I want to say before we move on to the next main idea. And that is that this kingdom distinctive is different in that it is about someone for others. Listen, about someone, someone for others, not others for someone. It's about someone for others, not others for someone. You know, they got the, the, the hand motions that helps. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so listen, the world of parents is a very simple world. I rule, I have authority over my kids, but you know what? 
my authority over my children basically is, is, is run by me providing everything necessary for them. So yes, they're in my world and I'm over them, but basically the only way I can be over them is by providing everything they need. Right? Y- y'all follow me? But the kingdoms of the world are different. People are over you based upon what you can provide for them, how you can shoulder them. Like, you know, you, almost every little kingdom or big kingdom is based on what the citizens can provide for the ruler. But God's kingdom is built on Jesus, not on us. It says that the government, the authority of God will be on his shoulders, which means that it's not built on our shoulders and what we can provide, but it's built on what he himself provides. Very simple. So, you know, all of God's demands that what should be done under God's kingdom, Jesus showed to them by obeying under God's authority for us. And all of the things that we have done to rebel against God's authority and break God's authority, Jesus has shouldered our rebellion on himself. And now he sits in heaven, having shouldered God's authority perfectly, and he says, come unto me, and you will find rest, and my yoke is burden and light. You know, he's basically saying that I shoulder God's kingdom, and you exist in God's kingdom as I shoulder. It's not built on you. It's not built on you. You know, like, we spend all our time, beloved, we spend all our time trying, Jesus, give me authority over my marriage. Jesus, give me authority over my kids. Jesus, give me authority to obey. Jesus, give me authority to overcome my weaknesses. Jesus, give me authority over my will and give me authority over this. And, and, and this is what Isaiah is saying, is that the 20 trillion pound weight of God's authority has been shouldered by Christ. And you know what he says now? He says, y'all come and play under the, the, the authority of God that the cross now is shouldering, and you come play under my shouldering of God's authority. Stop trying to weight lift for Jesus in his kingdom. He don't need weight lifters. He needs people who sit under his shoulders, who bear the burdens, who bore the burdens perfectly for us, and says, come play under my bearing of God's authority. It is built on Christ. It is sustained and held up by Christ. We act, beloved, we act. The way, the way our evangelical Christian talk is, it's like Jesus comes and gives us steroids and supplements to be these beasts who can like, you know, like will ourselves and like have all this power, you know, like, all right. You know, that's how we talk. But beloved, the lordship of Christ over you is something that he bears on the shoulders of his grace. Not on the shoulders of you and how much you can muster willpower and commitment and strength. This kingdom is different. It is built on the shoulders of him, not our shoulders. Let me tell you something. The second the burdens becomes on us, you know what happens? You'll be crushed. You'll be crushed. Let me tell you something. You trying really hard to sometimes be under Jesus' authority and not is not the standard that God requires. Like, oh, I'm trying. Good for you. You bear that authority and weight on you and the holiness of God's presence, and it will crush you. All right, I need to go. I need to move on. I'll never get past. I'll never get to the end of the sermon, and you'll never get to open presence. 
All right, so, so look, this is the distinctives of this kingdom, but, but let's talk about how this kingdom is preserved. All right, this is how it's founded. This is the distinctive of it. And now we go to how it's preserved. Listen, it says, he will be named. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. So let me say the first thing. When, I, when we think about this idea of preserving, how is the kingdom preserved? How does it go forward? The first thing I want to say about that is unchanging descriptions. Unchanging descriptions. Look what it says. This is the kingdom. This is who bears it. And he will be named. So all of a sudden, all these things that, 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 that sustain the kingdom are descriptions of who Jesus is. These descriptions. So let, let me give you an example. Um, who someone is triumphs what needs to be done. Uh, uh, so, so if someone comes to my house, if Rebecca tells me, Aldo, would you, would you fix something? I say, I'm Aldo. If you tell Rebecca, Rebecca, do not organize your house, that's impossible. I'm Rebecca. Who somebody is triumphs what needs to be done. Y'all follow me? Who somebody is. And so what Isaiah is telling us is that this kingdom has everything to do with what is described about the characteristics of somebody else. That's how it goes on. It goes on. The conversation gets shut down. So, so basically, how does this kingdom go on, beloved? Christ is God. Christ is man. Christ is gracious. Christ is holy. Christ is faithful. Christ is obedience. Christ is merciful. That is how it goes on. Descriptions about how Christ is and who he is is basically how this will go on. You know, Isaiah does not say, you will be named, you will be told, you will be helped, you will be driven, but let me just tell you how this kingdom is going to go forth and exist. Christ is this. Beloved, let, let me ask you a question. How often when you're dealing with reality do you ask the question, who is Christ? We always think, who is this person? What's the situation? What's the issue? And I think very rarely do we say, who is Jesus? Because Isaiah is saying the way we exist in this kingdom is by asking that question and answering it in the affirmative of who he is. But, but it's more than just unchanging descriptions, beloved. It's, un, it's unusual declarations. Unusual declarations. It says he will be named what? Wonderful Counselor. Wow. Beloved, that, that means that this kingdom is not sustained primarily by our behavior, our morality, our activities, but it's sustained primarily by declarations of counsel from our king. It's not sustained by words of shame, okay? It's not sustained by threats or, or self-help or you can do it. Just try harder, it's sustained by declarations, unusual ones of counsel. What does that mean? That means that this kingdom is sustained by Jesus giving us promises of the gospel over and over. That's how we are preserved in this kingdom. It is a kingdom of hearing promises before it's anything else. 
So I say to the guilty, that means that you need to hear there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's how we go on. To the unclean, he says, he says what? He says in Isaiah, through his wounds, you are healed. You need to hear this counsel if you want to go on and exist because that's how this kingdom is. To the person who is enslaved to just, you know, being better and proving himself here, God says the counsel of through the obedience of the one man, Romans 5, the many will be declared righteous. Or to the person who says, you know what, I'm enslaved in sin and I just feel like I'm just stuck just living this ungodliness. And Romans 6 says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our body of sin might be done away with so that we'll be no longer enslaved to sin. We need to hear declarations and promises. To the weak, we need to hear that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that grace is perfected in weakness. Listen, beloved. To those who are tired and trying to find rest and what they can do and what they can change, we need to hear the counsel that we find rest in Christ's works, not in ours. So this kingdom is sustained by unusual declarations. They're just very unusual. Saying, you know how this go forward? You know how your life goes forward? It's not by doing something. It's not by changing something. It's by hearing these words of counsel from the gospel of your beloved king. That's what drives and sustains the kingdom. And you know what's unusual about his advice? Let me tell you what's really unusual about it. Is that God's, God's advice, you know, like most counselors, like the advice is basically like, all right, I'm going to sit down and talk to you, and now you kind of go do something with it, right? That's how most counsel is. But, but Jesus' counsel is different because he basically, <laughs> he basically tells you how he took his own advice. Read the New Testament, and almost everything about your life says, look, Jesus took your, his own advice for you. And now live your life in light of the fact that Jesus took his own advice and now you can exist in his grace. So it doesn't sit you on a chair and say, all right, let me, let me, let me break it down what you must do. He, he says, let me sit you on a chair and let me break down what I did under the law as a perfect man for you. And now how you by faith can exist under these declarations and promises. So the unusual declarations, but, but there's something more I want to say, a few things more. It's, it's, it's moved forward by unassisted dominance, unassisted dominance. All these traits are building on each other. Named, you know, uh, wonderful counsel, and now mighty God builds on that. So <laughs> what Isaiah is saying is that this counsel, these words are the words that come from God Almighty. It means that they're basically words that have their way with you. The words of God Almighty, you know, like in the beginning of creation, like God spoke and it was. He's saying that this counsel that comes from the mouth of the gospel of Christ is something that is the mouth of all God Almighty. You know, kind of like in the ministry of Christ, he had this kind of swagger. Dude is possessed by thousands of demons and he says, get out. No help from the person. Dude is dead, and he says, wake up. No assistance, and he wakes up. Dude is paralyzed. Dude is blind. You know, dude is leprous, and the Son of God, by the power of the word of God Almighty, speaks, and so it is. And so, beloved, listen, 
the, listen, we act like the gospel is like an instruction manual to really like make the power happen. But, but, but what Isaiah is saying, beloved, is that the counsel of the gospel is the words of God Almighty. It's powerful and mighty to radically shape your life. You know, like the gospel counsel from God Almighty, it's, it's kind of like, you know, tornadoes. Tornadoes with no help of your own, go in and just rip up everything and destroy everything. You know, that, that's how the gospel word is, beloved, in your life. You hear the word, the gospel, and all the sin, you know, issues that are in the way are just uprooted by the power of that word. It's kind of like hurricanes, you know, or, or earthquakes. You know, there's these hard, you know, rocks that have been never penetrated. And the power of an earthquake just cracks and shapes and rips. Beloved, that's the power of the gospel. I don't think we get that as Christians. We, don't, we, we think that an earthquake has more power than the declarations of gospel counsel from Christ. And we think, you know what? The solution is more application. No, beloved, the solution is listen. We're not listening, and therefore the power of this word is not affecting our lives because we do too little listening and too much doing. Which is why in Galatians 3, what, is, what does Paul say? He, does he work miracles among you by the law or through hearing with faith? He's saying this kingdom is perversed by, by, by gospel counsel that has unassisted dominance and power over your life. But there's a few more things about how this kingdom goes forward. And that is by unprovoked devotion. By unprovoked devotion. You say, where do you get that from? Well, it says he will be named eternal father. Now we know Jesus is not the father. So eternal father is telling us basically that Jesus has a fatherly affection and love for his people that goes outside of existence. He has basically a devotion for his people and love for his people that has nothing to do with you. That's why it says eternal father. God loves you outside of history and time and behavior. He loves you in eternity. He has an unprovoked passion for you, beloved. And that's what sustains your life in the kingdom. Not trying to provoke God for affection by changing this or changing. But, but you know what? I think, I think we, we think like this. We think, you know what? This life will be sustained by how many shameful things I was able to avoid doing or happen to me. Right? Right? Don't we think that? We think that this kingdom will be sustained by how great the new life and the new nature and the new fruits of the Spirit are. We think that this life will be sustained by how much we do for the kingdom and how much sin I could kill and how much, you know, how much I can fix everyone in my life for all their problems. But, but Isaiah is saying, beloved, this kingdom is sustained by a God who loved you before you ever did anything, period, point blank. He has an eternal love for you outside of time that has nothing to do with you, how bad you are, how good you think you are. He just has loved you in himself in spite of you. And you know what, beloved? He's saying that this is how this kingdom goes forward. This is how it goes forward. You know, in our day, you know what people say? Oh, that's dangerous. 
That's dangerous. You talk like that. What you do does not matter how God loves you. What you don't do does not matter. Yeah, it is dangerous. You know, how, you know why it's dangerous? Because the more you encounter the fact that God's love is everlasting outside of you and not built in time, man, you get wrecked with the power of affection. It's dangerous that way. I mean, people like begin to like put off sin and people begin to like love their families and people begin to repent and renounce their self-righteousness when they know that God's love for them is eternal and not in time. It's dangerous when you minimize that and say his name will be temporal father based upon how good you are today and how much you do and how much you prove your Christianity. That's dangerous. That minimizes the power of this affection that drives every molecule of our life. So this this kingdom is sustained by an unprovoked devotion in God himself through Christ. That's good news, isn't it? And praise God, I'm so thankful I could just say that and you guys can say amen. This is how this kingdom is preserved. But there's one last thing I need to say. Let me see how I'm doing with my disappearing clock. (laughs) Unmovable definitiveness. Unmovable definitiveness is the last way this kingdom is sustained. I get that from Prince of Peace. Peace basically means that there is a peace, a subtleness between two parties that were against each other that is found in a someone. So let me ask you some questions. Um, or say some things about when, when peace is lacking in a home. You know what happens when peace is lacking in a home? We avoid each other. We find something outside of the home to focus on, you know, like you know, working or, or hobbies or, 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 or we lie to each other because there's no peace or we act fake or, or we exaggerate or, or we just do nothing because we feel hopeless or, or, or we just, you know, I don't know, let's just, I'm just going to start drinking more or get high or, or, or we just do a bunch of selfish things to like make the other person happy because there's no peace there, or, you know, basically, the non-existence of peace leads to every dysfunction in your life, in a relationship. You know that, right? And there can be nothing good that happens in a relationship if there is not a pre-existing peace that you don't now have to, like, you know, respond and, 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 and shape things to. So, so what, what, what Isaiah is saying, beloved, is that this kingdom is, divine, is, this, is, is, is moved forward by the fact that you always have a peace that already exists in somebody else, not in you. What happens to the disciples when they all like basically sold Jesus out and denied him? What are Jesus' first words? If you do not turn and prove that you are going to endure to the end, you are not a Christian. No, he doesn't say that. I'm being sarcastic. You're right, I am. He says, peace unto you. Now, before you even do anything, peace unto you. And he's saying that, look, beloved, in all of our moments where we try to, like, deal with sin in our own ways. For example, when secret sins begin to torment us and we begin to compensate by acting all spiritual and sounding all holy, God says, peace to you, prince of peace in him. That's how you're going to go forward. Or when, you know, when, when, when we you know, have embarrassing, difficult things and, and we think we're going to compensate by trying to manipulate and control the person involved, God says, peace to you, beloved. Peace to you. 
when you begin to be overwhelmed by your un, you know, ongoing, ungodly patterns of living, and your temptation is you want to hide from God and avoid the things of God, or you want to, you know, maybe, maybe I can be a good athlete or I'll be a good, you know, doodler or whatever. Maybe I'll find something else. God says, peace to you. Peace to you, peace to you. Not because of you, but because the Prince of Peace on the cross took every single sin that you've ever committed and he basically buried it in the ocean of his atoning work and then he basically threw it in the ocean of God's forgiveness and he was raised triumphant and he said, peace to you. That's how this goes forth, beloved. If we don't have peace of the gospel, we will not go forward and be sustained the way we need to. We're always trying to find peace in something being different. And you know what that does? It makes you fake. And it makes you brutally problematic. If, we don't, if we're not preserved by peace that we already have. So this kingdom is preserved by unusual descriptions, unusual declarations of counsel, un, unassisted Unassisted power, I'm probably like paraphrasing that well, unprovoked devotion, and unmovable definitiveness. But there's one last angle that we're going to turn as we talk about how this kingdom is like no other. And it's not just in how it's preserved, but okay, what does this kingdom being preserved by a king like this do? What does it do? And that's the last point. It's kingdom Qualities, kingdom qualities. I get that from verse 7. It says, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this is what, this, this is what grace looks like. This is what grace produces. Y'all, y'all follow me? Don't hear this and begin to think, Oh, okay, this is what I got to do. No, no, no. This is what being sustained by this kind of description of this kind of king will then produce in you. First thing, first quality of this kingdom is it has unlimited application. You say, why do you say that? It says the dominion will be vast. The dominion will be vast. Basically, Christ's gospel authority over your life has no jurisdiction limits. Okay? Um, When I went to Cuba, you know what I realized? Um, all the benefits of being American, like, were gone, pretty much. My, 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 my American, you know, citizenship did not have benefits in Cuba. But, but what Isaiah is saying, beloved, is that this kingdom has unlimited, unlimited application. So this, let, me, let me break it down for you. So him having dominion everywhere in your life means that the same Christ who saved you from hell by his grace is the one who sanctifies you by that same grace. The same God who was with you in your singleness is the same God who now is sufficient for you in your marriage. And you know what? The same God who was with you in your marriage with no little kids is now the same God that is utterly sufficient in his grace and now you having little kids. The same God who was sufficient when your marriage was good is the same one that's sufficient when your marriage is bad. His jurisdiction has no limits in application. The same God who is sufficient in his grace to deal with your anxiety is the same God who is sufficient in his grace to deal with your lust issue. The same God who is with you in a season of difficulty and like, you know, just, just real pain and sickness is the same God who is sufficient in 
situations that are not like that. There is no limit to his application of his gospel rule. The same God whose grace was sufficient to cover your little sins is the one who's sufficient to cover and transform your big sins. Bro, we don't act like that. We act like our Jesus is this wimpy guy who has these like wimpy little gospel effects. When it gets really hard, then you got to figure it out. But he says, no, 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 man, this king has unlimited application. You tell me every single thing, every single season, every single sin, every single problem, and the power of the gospel is enough. It has no limitation. It has no borders. Every, beloved, every step, every step of your life has been conquered by the power of the gospel. Every step. You think about that today. Everywhere you go, every situation, every conversation, the power of the gospel has claimed that authoritatively. No questions. So this quality has unlimited, this kingdom quality has unlimited application. There's a few more things I want to say. It has untamable inflammation. There goes that rhyming thing I'm, I'm getting Untable inflammation. Basically, it just, it just keeps going on and on. It says the prosperity will never end. The prosperity will never end. So let me break that down. You know how things are really sweet, but, but they can't be that sweet because you know it's going to end? You know, like when you're sitting around with your kids and your family and like, oh, this is so good, but it's not that good because I just know it. In like five minutes, there's people going to be like killing each other. Ah! So you really, but, 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 but beloved, Isaiah is saying that this kingdom's not like that. The love that you enjoy in Christ will never end. You know, you, know, you know this gospel sweetness that you enjoy now? It's like a wedding banquet that's put on pause, never to end. There's never going to be like, all right, you know, like it's been good. A thousand years, a million years, a trillion years, a hundred trillion years, and whatever is next, oh my gosh, grace is awesome and more awesome forever. The prosperity, not the prosperity of stuff, but the prosperity of gospel sweetness in Christ will never have a ceiling. Beloved, it's only going to get better for you. Believe me. You're like, I don't know, man. All right, when you die, you'll be sure. But <laughs> you'll be sure. So unstoppable inflammation. One last point in this idea of kingdom qualities. Unstoppable transformation unstoppable transformation. It says to establish and sustain with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. So basically what Christ is saying is that the power of his grace produces what? The ability to have conviction about what is right and to live in a godly way. That's what the gospel produces. And I think that's, it sounds like redundant, like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. But, but think about it. I think we, this, is, this is how we practically live our lives. and We all do. We live our lives. Like this kingdom is about unstoppable health and wealth. Don't we? Whenever time, whenever those things are not there, oh, my gosh, what's going on, God? Assumption is we think that's what the kingdom is primarily about. 
Or, you know, like when success in life, we think it's about success in life and happiness and high emotions and unstoppable victories and upgrades and raises and more like out of the body, like experiences or, you know, more knowledge, more articulation, more people, more numbers, more buildings, more power, more success. That's how we act because when these things are not going on, we're like, what's going on, God? I thought you were God. And he's like, nothing's going on. You just don't know what my kingdom's about, beloved. It's about having a conviction for what is right and living godly because of the gospel. It's a kingdom of justice and righteousness that he produces. So, so what does this look like, beloved? It looks like us having unstoppable confidence in the gospel and stop trusting in ourselves. That's what this kingdom looks like. It looks like us having humility and repentance and stop walking around entitled, acting like people need to like bow to us. All of us, beloved. It looks like having brokenness and hatred for sin instead of making excuses, beloved. It looks like having devotion and passion for the God who saved us and not acting like, man, I don't got time to listen to your voice, Father. You know why? Because I'd rather be on freaking Facebook and playing games and watching videos. That's not what it looks like, beloved. It looks like, oh my gosh, the power of the gospel makes me want to hear from my beloved Savior. And not act like it's a burden to hear his love declarations while we spend all our time doing stuff that doesn't matter. It doesn't, beloved, this kingdom is amazing and it looks like, it looks like us setting aside, us setting aside our indifference to lost people and being concerned in pursuing lost people. It looks like us being generous and willing to meet needs where they are and not being too busy for everyone else in their neediness. Kingdom of justice and righteousness. It looks like us having compassion and mercy. It looks like us saying things like this. It's not right for me to live in my house like this. It's not right for me to just do whatever I want and just act like I'm just here. It's not right for me to treat my wife this way. I need to, by the power of the gospel, to be a servant who loves and serves my wife and doesn't sit down and think that all the world is about me. Beloved, this is what the gospel kingdom produces. It looks like it's not okay for me to ignore my children and my family and just exist around them. It looks like, beloved, I must lead my family. I must love my family. I must labor for my family and stop acting like it's okay not to. Right? It looks like, it looks like, beloved, that I need to stop being, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself now. I need to stop I need to stop acting like I'm this important person, you know, who just needs to be important for everybody. And, oh, I'm a pastor. And my wife, look at me. And I need to say, you know what? My life is insignificant because of the glory of the gospel. Who am I? I am nothing. Beloved God, by the power of your grace, would you make me think that it's so valuable to do the smallest things? It's a kingdom of honesty and integrity. Not us sitting over here telling people to do things that we don't do, beloved. That's not right. I'm amazed at how Christians are the most unreliable people. We are like that. 
And he's saying, beloved, this kingdom is one of integrity and honesty. And I will love my brother. And I will serve my brother. And I will answer to my brother and not act like I'm this, you know, celebrity that everyone in the world needs to bow down to. I'll just show up when I feel like it because I am, you know, Kardashian. No, it's grace makes me think, beloved, other people are more important than me. Christ is more important than me. It makes me think, beloved, that, that you know what? Living for like more money and more stuff is stuff I need to repent of. Not stuff that I need to make fix in the gospel world because it doesn't. It makes me think, you know what? It makes me think, you know what? What I need in my house, what I need in my house is grace, not law. I can't be someone who talks about grace in a sermon, talks about grace on Facebook, and in my house, I kill everyone with the law. It's not right. I have convictions by the power of the gospel of what is right, and by the power of the gospel, I must live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I, beloved, I'm saying this in sincerity. Beloved, this is the kingdom of God. This is what grace enables us to enjoy. It's, it's, it is wonderful and sweet and sufficient, beloved. It means, I'll say one more thing. It means that we, we should have a conviction about racism. You know all that crap in Miami, that black and white, and Nicaraguan and Cuban? We have convictions that's, un, that's ungodly and sinful. We are the people of God who have an identity in Christ. And every man that's made in God's image and bought by the gospel demands my respect and attention and appreciation. You repent of all this sinful racism in the church. This is a kingdom of righteousness and godliness. And this crap, all oh, those negros, all oh, those blancos, that's garbage. We are godly people empowered by the gospel. A kingdom of righteousness. The whole world can be like that. We are not like that. Why? Because we're being preserved by promises, by unprovoked affection, by unpowerful, powerless, invincible, and by a settledness in the peace of Christ. This is the kingdom, beloved, of grace. And what it does. So the conclusion, my conclusion, man, oh my gosh, I like this sermon until the last part. You ruined my Christmas. I'm going to open my presents. Ah. Listen, oh my goodness, how, how, how do I see this? How, how do I respond to this? How do I, listen, look at the last part of this verse. It says that the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. I don't even want to hear this. I don't care. I don't know. The zeal of the Lord of armies by his passions will accomplish this. Oh, man. Yes, that's good. At the conclusion of all this is, you know what? God is zealous for you, beloved. By his grace, 
They said the zeal of you and God will accomplish this, but the zeal of God Almighty, soldier like massive army, will do this in our lives. Praise God. I'm so glad it ended that way. <laughs> and so, beloved, I'll say one more thing. And that is that I think that this year has been a hard year for everyone in, in this church. Everyone. And you know what I think he's, you know what I think God's doing, beloved? I think he's loving us so much and assaulting our small kingdoms that we're trying to preserve. He's assaulting them with affection because he wants us to live in this kind of kingdom this year together. And all the bitterness and difficulty is God saying, I got something better, and I want you to see it, and I want you to stop building cardboard houses to live in because they suck. Live in the castle of my kingdom, which is all about my son and what he provides. And if you don't know Christ, beloved, the answer today is the same, to embrace a king who lived for you, though you did nothing to earn that life and who died for all of your sins that you never will be able to make up for that and who was resurrected and now sits in heaven saying, believe. Is that it? Yes. Believe and exist in this wonderful world of Christ crucified, this kingdom that is like no other. Father, you're awesome. You're great. You're majestic. Lord, I pray over every family in this church. Lord, I pray that this kingdom would be a, a, a rock bed for them this season, this year. Lord, I pray for every single person here. Lord, I pray this kingdom of grace would be a sanctuary for them. Lord God, I pray for every lost person that is here around us, God, that you would save them and bring them into this kingdom, Lord God. Father, keep us in this kingdom this year, Lord God. Father, please lift us up in your arms with all of our pain all of our tears, all of our hopelessness and make us who we already are in this kingdom to enjoy and taste it just a little bit more, Lord God, this year. In Jesus' name, oh my gosh, it is awesome. It's wonderful. Amen. That concludes our message and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, Please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.